One of the speakers at the recent conference on language and society in the Isle of Man was Ben Nokiella, a lecturer in the Department of Welsh and Celtic Studies at Aberystwyth University. His talk on language policies and neoliberal retrenchment in Ireland, Scotland and Man was certainly thought-provoking and on agenda he tells us why lesser-used languages are important and how global financial turmoil is impacting on language support and development. And you hear on the island uh, for the conference that uh, Christopher Lewin organised with uh, or through the auspices of uh, the University of Galway, um, what was what was your particular um, involvement in in the conference? Well, I spoke on Saturday. I presented a paper, um, and I was talking about the uh, effects of economic precarity, instability, uh, government cutbacks, and so on, and language vitality in Ireland, in Scotland, regarding Gaelic, and also in the Isle of Man. And I was also here, obviously, just to listen and to learn from everybody else. It was a fantastic conference with um, international interest shown. People flew from all over the world to attend. There was somebody came from British Columbia and Canada to give a very fascinating paper. And it was a really amazing experience for me who has had a long-term interest in the Manx language um, because there was perspectives shown and, and, and presented that I had never encountered before. There was information that I would never have come across of my own accord. And so I found it a very valuable experience and I think it was a, a resounding success that showed the interest and importance of the Manx language today. And it was... It was uh vast in in terms of the range of, of of things that we were talking about really at the conference i mean we we started off with uh, f- finding out that uh, we were welsh up until about eight <laughs> eight fifty uh and went all the way through to uh i don't know um the the distinctions between different uh revival uh, re- revival techniques for for language and, and yeah everything in between really yes definitely and that i guess was one of the uh, the most interesting points about it um for me was just to see that there are people working on so many different aspects of the manx language its history culture traditions and and and, and current uh, uh, fate and per- prospects. Um, there was people who who gave sort of very in depth historical research. We heard um, papers presented looking at the 1901 census and the use of of Manx in Douglas. There was a fantastic paper about that by Paul Lewin and people looking at the early history of the Manx revival, how that played out and um, the involvement of women in the, the early um, Manx revival movement which I th- thought was a very very important and, and valuable presentation to hear, um, all the way up to, you know, of course yourself talking about the work of Winger Vega and the importance of that for the revival movement, how um, it's so crucial that we ensure that children receive Manx from an early age, that the language is transmitted from one generation to the next and how we can most effectively do that I guess was one of the, the main themes that came through um, in the conference for me and there was a whole range of very interesting uh, approaches and, and, and points made about that um, so I think it, it um, is definitely something that I hope can be built on in, in, the, in the future And I mean your own paper obviously was looking at the impact of uh, the financial issues across the globe in, in relation to government's available spending power uh, in in these more financially constrained times, I mean, uh, you you've already asked me this question mm-hmm. in a different interview, but uh, I'll, I'll ask you. I mean, how how do how do governments 
continue to support languages when uh, um, finance is really uh, quite tight. Well, this is the the big question, isn't it? And this, in some ways, is one of the reasons I wanted to come, was to learn more about the the answer to that and what the challenges are um, by talking to Manx speakers and, and language activists and so on. My own research, I wrote a book about this um, with regards to Ireland and Irish, especially Irish-speaking communities known as the Gaeltacht, and the effects of really the last 15 years of economic precarity and instability that sort of began in, in 2008 with the great financial crash of the time and still leave their mark to this day. Of course, it's been exacerbated since then by COVID and we have the cost of living crisis and, uh, and unfortunately a further round of cuts um, being implemented at the moment on so much public spending. It's a very similar pattern in Scotland with regards to Gaelic in the Outer Hebrides. There's been cuts to not just language policy, I guess an important point, I think, we need to remember is that language exists in a community, in a society, and anything that affects the society um, also affects the prospects of the language. So I, I talked on Saturday about um, things like cuts to the local authorities and and how that then impacts um, their ability in Scotland and Ireland to to implement the basic services that people need. And you know if people can't get the services in their community well unsurprisingly many of them leave perhaps particularly younger people um, and all of this can have a very negative impact on the language I suppose with regards to how do we you know change this and and make sure that our languages continue to to grow evolve and thrive in in the present day well one thing that I have talked about and also written about um, some of my academic publications is the fact that we face, you know, such immense challenges in the 21st century, not just in, in you know, Gaelic countries but or Europe, but all over the world, particularly maybe with regards to the environmental crisis that we're facing. And one point that I think is very important to make is that not only does all the bad stuff to do with the capitalist system that we're facing now, austerity and inequality and so on, affect the languages negatively, but we know that that affects the, the environment and so on. You know, infinite growth on, on, on a finite planet is just a, a recipe for disaster. But the same solutions that are needed to address the ecological crisis are actually very close to the ones that are also needed to preserve linguistic diversity. So if you look at the sort of the, the, the renowned authors in the field of language revitalization, a point that comes up again and again is that essentially you need, um, I, I, I quote uh, Colin Williams, professor um, of, emeritus professor of Welsh in Cardiff uh, and a very renowned academic in this field of language revitalization. He said that um, political autonomy and economic autarky are the twin preconditions of uh, successful language revival. Um, Autarky just means autonomy. It's another word um, for autonomy. So communities need to have control over their own fate and they need to have the resources to make sure that they continue to exist as communities. This is also very similar to the same to the sort of solutions that are being proposed by many of those involved in the environmental movement and talking about how do we address uh, the impacts of, of catastrophic climate change. It's very frequently said that, well, essentially we need to devolve power and resources to the local level to a much greater degree than currently happens. It's a remarkable coincidence that those two things align, the needs of the ecological crisis and the, the global 
um, loss of linguistic diversity that we potentially face over the next um, couple of generations unless things change. It could be very different that those two things were somehow in opposition to each other. It gives me personally tremendous hope to think that, well, there are millions and millions of people, hundreds of millions probably all over the world, thinking about how we can address the ecological crisis. And if we can manage to pull that off, we will coincidentally be also providing the basis for much more flourishing language revitalization movements by, as I say, giving communities um, more power over their own fate and more resources to determine what they need rather than the current model of centralization and inequality and so on. So I think that's that's how I see uh, the future prospects anyway for this issue. It's, it's often quite hard for... Um, people who have only been brought up with one language to understand why um, having lots of languages is is a good thing. Um, how would you how would you answer um, the, the the kind of the monoglot English approach to the world, which says actually the fact that everyone's learned English means that we don't need other languages, and wouldn't it be so much simpler if we just just all spoke one language? There's a whole host of different ways you can answer that. I suppose one of the things that I like to point out to people is that they might feel different about this issue if it was their language that was about to die. And it can be hard, as you say, for a monoglot to understand what that might feel like. But somebody who only speaks English, when you put it to them like that, think of all the things you love that exist in the English language. And now think how you would feel if they were about to disappear because the language was about to disappear. And when we think about it like that, I think it allows us to reconceptualize and sort of put the shoe on the other foot of, wow, what must it feel like for all those minoritized language communities around the world who face this as a real prospect that everything they love in their language might just become obsolete over the next few years because their language is lost there's also other ways we can look at it as well though one of the functions of language is obviously communication we all know that that's what we think of when we think of what the use of language is but also all of the research shows, and it's it's accepted as a fact in linguistics and amongst uh, researchers like myself, that language also has another secondary function, which is also key, which is identity construction. So communication and identity are what languages are for. They allow us to show who we are, where we're from, what age we are, even if you're just speaking English. All of these things are evident in the way we speak English. I speak English to you now. I'm speaking English in a way that shows I'm from Ireland, I'm from a certain part of Ireland, I'm of a certain age group, of a certain social class. All of this is encoded in the way all of us speak all the time. There is there is no language that isn't doesn't do that. So when we lose a whole language, not just an accent, it's even more exaggerated. There's a whole category of identity um, encoded within within Manx, within Irish, within any language anywhere in the world. And I think that when we lose that, it makes the world a poorer place. I think, and this is a value judgment, but it's equally a value judgment to disagree with me, I think that more diversity in the world makes it a more interesting place. And I think that is it is a social good. Um, there are many, many um, other sort of research uh, researchers who also demonstrated that this identity function of language is crucial to our well-being as people. 
there's some very interesting research from Canada with regards to First Nations people, as they call them, Indigenous people from Canada. And one paper that really strikes me as, as uh, very powerful is one which talks about suicide rates amongst First Nations people. And its con- conclusion is that even when we control for other factors, as they say in social sciences, so we exclude other factors like um, age and, and gender and, and socioeconomic status, in tribes of First Nations where 50% or more can still speak their indigenous language, the suicide rate is six times lower. And that's, as I say, when we exclude other other factors that could be causing that, like availability of mental health facilities or whatnot. So this, I guess, is a very powerful illustration of the importance of language in our sense of identity and the way we connect and communicate with those around us. And we all know by now, I think, that being part of a community is crucial for healthy human relationships. And when we're isolated and alone, well, we don't fare well. It affects our mental health, but it also affects our physical health. And language is one of the ways, and language revitalization and maintenance is one of the ways which we can counter what is an increasingly, unfortunately, atomized and lonely society. The NHS talks about loneliness as being a chronic uh, disease facing millions of people uh, in, in Britain at the moment. Um, Language revitalization is one of the ways that we can we can counter that. It seems to me absurd that we would want to be uh, throwing that immensely useful public health tool out by saying we should all just speak one language. One of the uh, the, the terms, perhaps endearingly used by some, maybe uh, disparaging from others, uh, about the Isle of Man was. Uh, I think at the time it was 60,000 alcoholics clinging to a rock. Um, <laughs> at the time that that was being said, it, it, I was becoming more aware of in indigenous uh, communities and how loss of language uh, was affecting them. And actually, you look at many indigenous communities where language and culture was being lost, and a lot of them were resorting to alcohol and various other other things um and uh, you know indeed in, in, even in the Isle of Man you know we had a lot of people who were very very negative towards uh, the the language manx people with lo- you know, very strong manx pedigrees um quite uh, hostile to the language it, is all of this sort of thing a bit connected It absolutely is. And once again, there's lots of research from different contexts around the world, New Zealand, Australia, North America and so on, that shows how interconnected these things are and how language loss is one part of the social disruption, which has affected so many colonised and indigenous peoples around the world in a very negative way. And again, to sort of go back to the previous question, sometimes it's argued that Revitalizing indigenous languages that have been oppressed through colonization and economic inequality and social exclusion for for many generations, really it's righting a historic wrong. And when we do this, it's it's good for the communities. It's 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 the right thing to do in moral terms. And one of the uh, one of the more interesting and popular books, maybe written about the Irish language in in the last five or six years, was one called The Broken Harp by an author called Tomás McShimon, and he talked about the way intergenerational trauma 
in indigenous communities was passed down from one generation to the next and problems what the, what sociologists call diseases of desperation things like alcoholism and drug addiction and so on are intimately linked to language loss and the the, the feelings of inferiority that that colonialism and and class society and marginalization of, of indigenous peoples um in different parts of the world has has really had a disastrous effect on the well-being of these populations there's um there's an awful lot more research to be done in the area, and I would greatly encourage anyone listening who's interested in that topic to maybe think about, about pursuing that as a, a, an interest um, and a research avenue. Um, but there is no doubt from the research that we have already that these things are, are intimately linked. It's sometimes pointed out um, that Ireland is famous for its Irish pubs, one of the, 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 the famous exports of my country um it's rarely acknowledged though that this sort of connection between all oh, the irish are great drinkers and so on comes from the fact that ireland was britain's first colony it was the test case for colonialism around the world and that in the same way that we all know that aboriginal people in australia have a problem with alcoholism as a result of the way colonialism oppressed them and um, the same can be said for ireland and so on and the glorification of, of drinking culture um regarding ireland um often strangely misses that point um the language loss that we we experienced in Ireland and and that we've been trying to resist for for the last hundred and thirty plus years of of language revitalization efforts, um, is I suppose one of the ways that we we try and resist this uh, this his, historical trajectory that was forced on us by colonialism. It's I suppose for many people reasonably easy to understand. Um, why you might want to retain a language that still retains a fairly deep-rooted place in a community, but for likes of Manx, where and and you know I, I'm I'm playing devil's ag- advocate here. This may not be my own personal view, <laughs> but you know for, for the likes of Manx, when you know that um, according to UNESCO, uh, the language was extinct. Um, I mean, fortunately, we are now in the revitalized language category. Mm. Um, but but why should why should anyone be that bothered, you know, particularly in, in terms of uh, governments when we know that uh, money is, is tight? Why should anyone be bothered about uh, trying to or, or, uh, support the revival of a language like Manx or indeed uh, throwing any public money at it at all? Well, I suppose I'd have to echo some of the previous comments I've made about the value of a language intrinsically to the speakers and the community and so on. It enriches our society to have greater diversity rather than less would be a fundamental point. But is it not too late when that language has has effectively disappeared? Well, the fact is, as you know better than I feel, that there are many, many Manx speakers who are still around and they're happy to be Manx speakers and they would feel, if you go out and ask them, I think there'd be very few of them who say, oh, I'm sorry I'm able to speak Manx. I regret having that ability. It's just not something that people who are multilingual ever really say. Um, And I think that speaks to the fact that people do get a great sense of enrichment in their own lives, the community, the cultural aspects, all of this that goes on. And um, within 
minoritized languages. It doesn't matter whether it's whether it's Irish or or Manx, which is obviously um, in a very different situation. Um, but the same factors apply. The same social goods are available um, through through the Manx languages as are available through Gaelic or Welsh or whatnot. Um, and because of that, I think we need to go back, as I say, to the the social benefits in terms of mental health, physical health that uh, come along with uh, multilingualism. There's also plenty of sort of more utilitarian arguments about how people who are multilingual, and it doesn't matter what the language is, tend to earn more. They call it the multilingual dividend in economics. Um, and what is interesting about that is it doesn't matter. People have this idea that, oh, you only get that if you speak Chinese or French or Arabic or something, uh, massive global language. But even for people who can speak Manx, um, there will be, you know, benefits in, in the economic sphere because employers tend to look favorably on people who are multilingual. Um, it's one more string to your bow. Um, and especially when we when we think about things like... Um, immersion education and so on, the, the nurseries, Wintervega that you're so involved in. Um, these are services that need to be provided in a society anyway, right? So it doesn't cost states, governments, any more to have a Manx medium nursery or a, a Manx medium school or whatnot than it costs them to have a, an English medium one. But you get more benefits when you have the Manx medium one. It's the same cost outlay in terms of paying for a teacher, paying for a building and whatnot, materials. Um, any of the, the costs of translating textbooks are so minuscule that they, they, they don't factor in a, in a government's uh, budget outlook. So you have the same education, but better outcomes and once again this is a robust finding that we can see all around the world that children who go to uh, immersion medium education for languages uh, such as Manx tend to do better educationally they do better um, academically but they also very often to, to, to sort of repeat myself a bit they also have the added integration into the Manx language community which bestows upon them uh, mental health benefits it's not going to say that everybody who can speak Manx will be better off and they will never have uh, mental health problems and so on. But it does tend to militate in all of the research we can see against um, some of the problems that, that affect so many people in society um, uh, as it is today. Is there is there much by way of evidence or, or, or research into why bilingualism is 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 better for people? You know, what what are the the impacts of that that uh, are, are so uh, so much better than just having one language. I suppose, like I said, there's the the, the sense of identity and belonging, which is crucial um, for people's mental well-being. And accordingly, because mental health and physical health are two sides of the same coin, really, it's all health. Um, when we have better mental health, we also have better physical health. Um, there's a lot of interesting research, some of your listeners may have, have heard about it, that talks about the links between multilingualism and dementia. Um, it's well established in, in, in the research now that we have that people who are multilingual, and it, again, it doesn't matter what the language is, Manx works just as well as Chinese or whatever for, for this um, finding. People who are multilingual, it's not that they don't develop dementia, but they develop it later in life. And when you add up um, 
the costs that uh, uh, the the health service uh, has to deal with in terms of uh, people experiencing dementia um, in later life. If you can save a whole cohort of people five years of their life without dementia, that is a significant, significant benefit, not just to those people and their families. And I'm sure all of us have, have family members who've suffered from dementia uh, by now in this day and age, but also in terms of the costs to the exchequer, because these are all people who can live longer, healthier, more independent lives without the need of of uh, carers and, and uh, health interventions um, for so long. So by ensuring that we have people who grow up speaking Manx because they went to the Bunskull and the Isle of Man or because they went to Winterweg or whatnot or they learned Manx uh, as, as adults. Um, all of this just means that they statistically are less likely to need uh, mental health services uh, because of things like dementia um, until they're much later in life than a monolingual would tend to. Can solutions to environmental protection help support indigenous languages and cultures? Have you tried learning Manx? If so, how easy was it to learn? Do you think it's all a waste of money, or is there something to this Manx language and culture? Let me know your thoughts on the programme by contacting philgorn at manxradio.com and get in touch if you have any ideas for future shows. Don't forget this programme is available as a podcast on Manx Radio's website. For now, though, I'm Phil Gorn. Good thanks for listening. <laughs>